Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is Nurse Mo, and today I'm doing something a little bit different. So I was on the Twitter, and if you guys don't follow me on Twitter, please do. I don't put a lot of stuff out there. I do once in a while. Mostly I read the Twitter. So if you follow me, I will follow you back. And then if you say something interesting, I might talk about it on the podcast like I'm doing right now. So this gal who goes by the Twitter handle at SmartAsh, which is kind of funny and clever, um, put out a tweet that says, here are some things that I wish they taught in nursing school. And I looked at it and I thought, yeah, those are really good things. So we're talking about those today on the podcast. So Ash, I hope you're listening. This is for you and everyone else out there who has had these same questions. So she puts out several things that she thinks should be taught in nursing school. And the very first one is how to shut down rude or angry or flirty patients or families without getting Fired. <laughs> okay, so let's first talk about the rude or angry patient or family. So a lot of things have been happening lately. You've seen a lot of stuff in the news about workplace violence and how we're not going to stand for that. And your hospital may have started instigating new policies about safety and things like that to show that they are taking workplace violence and employee safety seriously. So at my hospital, for instance, now everybody has to come in and get a badge. And this is a new change. It used to be, come on down, everybody, come on down. But now it's a little bit more controlled, which I am thankful for. Everybody has to come in through the front designated entrance. I think there's two designated entrances and pass right by a security desk and they have to check in and get a badge and show ID and all this stuff. So that's one of the things that we're doing. And then another thing that we're doing is this kind of uh, violent screening. And I don't think it's hospital specific. I think this is kind of an OSHA or JCO nationwide thing. So if you're doing violent screening, we're probably doing the same kind of thing. And it's basically just kind of creating a heads up for other staff members that the patient could possibly be violent. We put a little subtle sign on the door and everybody going into that room is a little bit more vigilant and aware of possible cues about patients being assertive or even violent. So you've got a family member or a patient who's very rude. 
How do you deal with the situation without getting fired? Which is what Ash really wants to know. So I would separate rude and angry into two separate categories. So a lot of times when a patient or family member is being rude, it comes from a a place rather of frustration and fear on their end. So the first thing that I try to do when I have a patient or family who's acting rude, being condescending, being really demanding, is I try to see things from their point of view and and understand that they are afraid, they are feeling a loss of power, they are feeling helpless, maybe they're even feeling hopeless. And a lot of times people don't know how to cope with those feelings and it comes out as being very unpleasant sometimes and very demanding and even very rude to the staff. So when I have a family that is acting like that or a patient, honestly, where I work, because a lot of times our patients are so sick, they can't speak for themselves. It's the families. First of all, let's say I'm getting report. And in report, the night shift nurse is telling me, oh boy, you've got a family in room 18. You're going to have just good luck. Okay, I appreciate the heads up, but I'm not going to take what happened to you and let that continue on to be what happens to me. This is a new day. It's a new shift. We're going to go in there with a fresh eye and a new slate, basically a clean slate. And I'm going to give everyone in that room, including myself, an opportunity to kind of hit a restart button. So this happened actually pretty recently, uh, several weeks back, got report on a patient. Patient was having a lot of issues with pain, understandably, very painful procedure that she'd had done. And the family was just not understanding why the patient was still in pain. And we were trying all these things. And As I'm sitting there getting rapport, I see someone walk by and go into the room, and then he comes out immediately and says, you need to get in here and deal with this. And he was very, his tone was just so rude, but I didn't let it cloud my judgment. I didn't let it put any kind of negative feeling about how my day was going to be. I just knew, okay, I've got an extra challenge that I'm going to have to deal with. So we went into the room to do our joint assessment of the patient in the room and the drips and everything and introduce myself. And so I've got two angry, rude family members at the bedside, basically berating me. I just got there and the night shift nurse for the fact that their family member was still in pain. Ironically, the family member is there in bed saying, it's okay, it's okay. Basically, she understands that what she had done was extremely painful and pain was going to be an issue. Family, however, not having it. I focused my attention at that point on the patient. There's nothing I could do about this rude family member who's being very condescending and telling me I need to get in there and deal with something. But I focused on the patient. I smiled. I conveyed a calm demeanor. A lot of times, if you stay calm, it helps other people stay calm or pull it down a notch. 
So introduce myself to the patient, smiled, said hello. Let them know I understand you're still having pain. Let me see what we can do about that. I didn't get in there and dive into their drama because it was just going to get worse. It was just going to escalate. So dealing with rude family members often can be thwarted a little bit by your demeanor. So don't start off on the defensive. Be very open and listen. Keep the focus on the patient is the very best advice that I can give. And be receptive. Understand where they're coming from. They're frustrated. They feel hopeless, helpless. They've lost their power. And they may not have good coping mechanisms. And I would have to say that most of the time, a lot of situations can be thwarted or made less intense just by open, calm, receptive communication on your end as the nurse. So staying open, stay calm, ask questions, let the other person talk and keep the focus on the patient and your advocacy for the patient. Okay, so that's really key. So let's say your rude family member has now gotten to the point where they are actually angry or the patient is actually angry. At this point, things have not gone well. They have your calm explanations, your open communication. None of that's worked. The patient or the family member is now actually angry. One of the key things you can do when a patient or family member is actually angry is you want to make sure that what they are angry about is an actual thing, okay? So maybe they're angry about a perception and you can help shift their perception. Maybe they don't understand something and you can shift their understanding or provide information. Or maybe what you think they're angry about and what they're actually angry about are two different things. So you really have to be very inquisitive and receptive. So you can't be defensive. You can't have an ego. You can't take it personally at all. It is not about you. It's about the patient. So one of the things that I like to do when a patient or family member is actually showing that they are angry is kind of say, now let's take a step back. I can see you're very angry and very upset. I really want to understand what the problem is. Can you explain to me what you're understanding in this situation? Something like that. Like the words you use are going to be different depending on what's happening. But the idea is that you want to express to them that you recognize their anger and their frustration and that you very much want to come from the same place of understanding so that you as the nurse can help the situation because that's what nurses do. We see problems, we fix them. So I would suggest starting with that. And then if they're getting to the point where they're irrational, you're not able to offer any explanations because when people are upset, they're not really in a position to take in new information. Definitely get your if you're a nursing student, get the nurse that you're working with that day. This is more than you can handle as a nursing student, clearly. you got to get more help. As the bedside nurse, it might be way more than you can handle. Again, so getting the charge nurse, 
putting it up the chain of command so that other people can step in and kind of assuage that situation so that you can continue to do your work. Your job is hard enough as it is without throwing into the mix all this other extra psychosocial stuff. So again, just that open communication is going to be key. And if you can keep the focus on what's best for the patient, chances are you're not going to get fired. And I'm not sure if Ash is talking about getting fired by the patient or family, like them saying, I don't want you to be my nurse, or getting fired by the facility where you're working. But always keeping the focus on what's best for the patient is not going to ever be any cause for concern or discussion because that's why we're there for the patient. Okay, so that is rude and angry patients or families. And then we have the flirty patient or family. How do we shut down flirty patients or family members without getting fired? Okay, so I'm a woman, so all my advice here comes from that perspective. I do not by any means suggest that men are not subjected to this at work. They definitely are. I know we have a lot of nice looking nurses in my hospital, lots of nice looking men. And I've heard stories about the ladies reaching up and giving the strong bicep a squeeze and making comments about how strong they are. That's not okay. Okay. So I know that the men deal with this as well. How they deal with it is probably different than how women deal with it. I'm not sure. I'm not a man. I don't really know. So I'll just speak from my experience because I can't even begin to guess what someone else's experience would be. So when your patient or your family member is, let's start with flirty because there's a continuum here, right? You start with the flirty and it ranges from there all the way up to creeper status. So if your patient or your family member is flirting with you, it's very easy to clamp this down with a simple statement of, I'm here for your health. I'm here to help you get better. And that's what the focus is today. Something that shows that you are not having anything to do with their advances. For example, let's say that your patient makes a comment about Wow, you're just so pretty. Something like that. They're flirting. Okay, they probably say it in a more clever way because they're flirting, but they say something about your appearance. You can respond with something like, thank you, but my appearance is not material here today. I'm your nurse and I'm here to take care of you and make sure that you get better. And then immediately, let's listen to your lung sounds. Let's take your blood sugar. Let's take your temperature, putting it back onto your assessment, whatever you need to be doing at that time to help them progress toward wellness. In nursing school, you will learn a lot about what's called therapeutic communication. And one of the big components of therapeutic communication is keeping the conversation all about the patient, not sharing your own personal information, your own personal feelings about things, just always keeping it on the patient. So as you practice this in school or in the clinical setting, it will become almost second nature to always deflect everything back to the patient and their experience so that you're not inserting yourself into their experience. Now, these flirty patients are trying to pull you into their experience, 
keeping things very clinical and very professional, and sometimes not even responding to what their flirty comments are, and just keeping it very clinical, very business-like can actually help as well. So if you're uncomfortable drawing attention to it, try the route where you just keep it super professional, super clinical, and a normal person will get the message and realize, oh, she's not into me. She really was just cleaning around my Foley catheter. Okay, I get it and move on. Now, with that said, there are creeps out there, people who will really want to know what your last name is so they can find you, okay? Or men or women who actually reach up and try to grope you. So my advice with dealing with patients like this, there is no subtlety here. You have to shut this down immediately. Nurses are not to be treated like second-class citizens at work as anyone's object, as anyone's punching bag. So if a patient is acting inappropriately, you have to shut it down and you have to be direct with these people because they're not normal and they're not going to understand any kind of subtle hints or cues. They need to be told that behavior will not be tolerated. A simple blanket statement that I like to use is something like, your behavior is inappropriate and it is interfering with my ability to do my job, which is to help you get better. Now, if the patient can't agree to a behavioral contract, such as you will not touch me, then you need to absolutely go up the chain of command, again, letting your charge nurse know whoever is working with you as your resource person. Even something as simple as having another nurse in the room with you when you are doing any kind of care for this patient can really go a long way. These people are bullies, and when they see that you've got backup, a lot of times they back down real quickly. So even just if you've got someone who can stand in the doorway in a non-threatening manner so that they realize that there's a witness and that you're not putting up with any of their BS can actually help. Now, if they continue to grope you or say lewd comments or anything that makes you uncomfortable, absolutely report that to the charge nurse. Get another assignment You cannot put yourself at risk. And this is why I always advise people to cover up their last names on their badge or get a badge that does not include their last name because the internet is out there and people can find all kinds of information about you simply by going on to the internet. I just renewed my RN license recently and you know, it's a pain in the neck and you're just going through and doing the steps. And there was one small little notification that said, Your address will be visible to the public. My address. So I've got a creeper patient in the hospital who's been saying disgusting things to me all day. And maybe my last name is on my badge because I forgot to cover it up. Now this creeper can go onto the Board of Registered Nursing website, find my name and my home address. That's disturbing. So I changed my home address with the board to my PO box and I cover up my last name at work. So don't tolerate it. Don't put up with it. As a student, don't think I have to put up with this because I need to get through nursing school and I don't want to make waves. Stop. You have to make waves if it's for your own safety. So don't put up with any of that ash. I would hate for you to put up with any of this garbage, any of you. Okay, so let's back up just a little bit. Let's say your patient's 
angry and frustrated and you feel like they're starting to escalate where things are getting out of control to the point where you can't even provide care. I wanted to back up just a hair and provide you just a little tip for something that you can do that's pretty easy and actually goes a long way toward rebuilding that trust relationship and giving the patient back some more of their power so that they don't maybe feel that frustration and that anger. And that is simply asking permission. So you will notice that a lot of times, especially when nurses are really busy, and I'm guilty of this as well, is that you just run in, do what you need to do, and you don't even ask the patient how they feel about that. And that is a little bit dehumanizing and, in my opinion, demeaning to the patient as a human being, as a person with rights and feelings and and this frustration and, and loss of power and all of those things that kind of roll up together to make them this angry, frustrated patient. So something so simple as letting them know what you're doing, letting them know why you're doing it. If the patient's really escalating to the anger part, ask permission before you touch them, before you do anything. Most of the time they're going to say, yeah, sure, go ahead. But just showing them that you respect their privacy, respect their dignity, respect their autonomy, respect their ability to be a willing participant in their plan of care is huge. So even if my patient is sedated or in a coma because they are so sick, I will still say, hey, Jenny, I'm going to take your blood sugar now or whatever I'm doing. I'm going to clean your mouth, blah, blah, blah. I let them know what I'm doing. If the patient is awake and teetering on the edge of that anger situation, I'll say, hey, Bob, I want to bring you your breakfast tray. I'd like to check your blood sugar first because it's been high because of the steroids we're giving you. Can I take your blood sugar now? Most of the time they will say yes. If they say no, guess what? That's their right. Patients have the right to refuse care. The most that I would say to do in that point is educate why it's important well, your blood sugar is really high. You know, we're giving you these steroids. It concerns me because elevated blood sugar is going to impair your body's ability to heal that big wound from your surgery. If you change your mind, let me know. I'll go ahead and get your tray. If they still continue to refuse, just chart it. Chart the heck out of it. Let your uh, physician know that, hey, patient B is not letting me check his blood sugar. It was high on his morning labs. What would you like to do? A lot of times if the physician goes in and talks to the patient, they get a lot more agreeable and that's just the way that people are. Sometimes they respect physicians way more than they respect nurses. Whatever, we're not going to change the world. But just that bringing the patient into the care process can go a really long way towards assuaging their anger and getting everybody back on the same page of helping this patient progress toward wellness. I had a patient once who was really sad situation. He was severely disabled from some kind of trauma. I don't even know what it was. And bed bound and huge pressure ulcers, like huge pressure ulcers. And um, pretty much not totally dependent. I think he had use of his arms. Yeah, he could use his arms really well. But from like the waist down, there wasn't anything happening. And so he was very dependent on nursing staff for care. And he was in the hospital for something. I don't even remember. It was so long ago. But his loss of power was so evident in his anger towards everyone and everything. 
and you'd go in the room and he was angry if you did anything without asking his permission first, like turning on the light, angry about that. And I just had to realize that his anger was coming from a place of frustration and powerlessness and that he needed so much to get his power back in order to not be this angry man living this life, this thing that happened to him. And it was actually very therapeutic in our relationship to where I just included him in everything. Hey, Steve, I don't remember his name. Hey, Steve, I'm going to turn on the light so that I can do my assessment and look at your wound. Is that okay? And he would say, yes, because obviously I need light if I'm going to look at his wound. So asking permission, explaining why it's important can really go a long way. And then just treating people with kindness because you're trying to see things from their point of view is huge. So I know that takes a lot of extra time, but it really does help. I promise you're not going to be a punching bag, Ash. We're not going to let it happen. Okay, so let us move on to Ash's next question, which is, how do you MacGyver things into usable items? Okay, so nurses are the king and queen of MacGyvering things into usable items. And as you go about your clinical rotations and start working as a nurse, when you see a contraption that one of your buddies built, ask them how they did it because a lot of times you'll learn all kinds of cool things. So some contraptions that I have seen are um, had to give lactulose retention enema to a patient once and there weren't any rectal tubes available. So somebody showed me how to take a large Foley catheter and rig it up into a enema delivery system. And it was magic and it was great. And then another nurse had a patient with really copious oral secretions, like constantly, constantly having to suction their mouth. I think the patient was had a tracheostomy, I think. And so he took a yank hour and heated it up with some hot water until he was able to bend it into like a little hook and then placing it in the mouth and putting it on like low intermittent wall suction so that he could keep the oral cavity clear. That one, I would have to say, you got to check the skin pretty regularly so that there's no skin breakdown. But, you know, he'd be in the room. He could put the little yank over there, suction all that stuff up so he's not standing there constantly. Um, Let's see. Another one is if you've got a lot of liquid stool, why clean that up with towels? You've got suction on the wall right there. Suctioning that up into the canister, beautiful. So, like, all kinds of MacGyvering goes on, right? So, the only thing I have to say about that is, A, be creative, especially at night when you might have fewer resources. Maybe you can't get a hold of Invadian Central Supply because they're off dropping off equipment and you need to MacGyver something. Be creative. Secondly, make sure it's safe for the patient. If you're not sure, ask somebody, okay? And just keep track of all those cool little tips. So one of the things that I like to do, here's another little tip and I'll try to explain it. Let's say you're hanging albumin, which is very thick and viscous and often will not flow very well. And so the pump because they're so, quote, smart, the high pressure from the albumin, the pump's not going to be able to pull it through and it's not going to think that there's really anything to do with that. So it's going to pull from your primary line instead. I'm assuming you're running your albumin as a secondary. So 
You don't want the pump to pull from the primary because you want the patient to get their albumin. So you take the little cap that came with the secondary tubing, that clear little cap that goes over the spike of your secondary tubing. You take that, you go to your primary tubing, you crimp it, and you shove it into the cap of your secondary tubing that you just opened. And so now your primary tubing is basically pinched closed. So the pump has no choice but to pull from the secondary albumin tubing. Now, the reason I want to say every time you MacGyver something, you really have to make sure that you've got your backups in place. So let's say my albumin is going to run over 15 minutes. I will set a timer on my iWatch and be back in that room before the albumin finishes because you want to physically take that little piece off your primary tubing so that your primary can then take over and keep your IV line patent. Otherwise, you run the risk of losing that line because it might clot off. Anyway, so lots of MacGyvering going on. Ask your fellow nurses when you see them MacGyver something. You will learn a lot and people typically love sharing their little tips that they come up with. Okay, and then the next thing that Ash talks about that she wishes they would teach in nursing school is how to get blood stains out of scrubs. Okay, so first, if you get blood on you in clinical or at the hospital at work, very first thing I want you to do is take those scrubs off your person. Do not be walking around with blood on your scrubs. That's very unhygienic and unsafe. So get the scrubs off if you have a backup set of scrubs. Good on you for planning ahead. If you don't, the hospital has scrubs they can provide you. Ours are really kind of goofy looking because they've got these stamps all over them so that you don't steal them. (laughs) But they come from Central Supply and you just go down to Central or send a friend or have them tube it up. Get your hospital-issued scrubs. You can also get scrubs often from the surgery department or labor and delivery. They all wear scrubs, uh, hospital-issued scrubs as well. So get some hospital scrubs or put on your backup pair. And then immediately you want to run that blood stain under some high-force cold water. And that cold water is the absolute key. And then I would let it soak in cold water if you can. If you've got basins or something that you can keep your scrubs in, in some cold water, do that. If they're a lighter color, try some hydrogen peroxide. It can bleach darker colors, but hydrogen peroxide, which every hospital unit has to clean those trachs, use that to get the blood stain out. Also, salt can help. Adding some salt to that cold water or rubbing some salt into that stain can also help. And then vinegar has also been shown to help as well. Some other things like WD-40 can help with a stain, but you probably don't have that at the hospital. And then uh, when you get home, as soon as you get home, putting a stain remover on it, putting some uh, high octane detergent of some kind. If you can also put a little soap on it after you do that cold water rinse, if you can't soak your scrubs in a basin, we don't even have basins where I work, so I'm trying to even think how I would do that. They took away our basins because of infection. I guess they were really covered in germs. I would First, I would run it through some cold, cold, cold water until the water runs clear, and then I would put some soap on it and rub the soap into it and then fold it up so that scrubs stay wet and then put them in a plastic bag or something so that they stay moist. You don't want it to dry out. And then when I got home, I'd throw it in the wash. Okay. So that's how to get blood stains out of your scrubs and try not to get blood on you in the first place if you can, obviously. And then the other thing that Ash wants to know 
how to do is not get punched in the face. Ash, I really hope that no one's been violent towards you because that's terribly stressful and can really make you question why you're doing this job in the first place if people are going to treat you so horribly. So what I would say about how not to get punched in the face is, first of all, listen to your gut. If you walk into a room and you don't feel safe, you don't have to stay. Get someone to come in the room with you. Sometimes, like I said, just having another person can really make a bully back down. If you see a situation escalating, a patient's voice is getting louder. They're raising their voice. They're raising their tone. They're not listening. They're not letting you explain. They are clenching their fists or moving in an aggressive, assertive manner, jerking away from you, jerking towards you, shouting, anything like that. Cueing into those signs of aggressive behavior are key. Do not get close enough to the patient to get punched. If you feel like you're not safe, you do not have to do anything. I had a patient who had the um, call light and was swinging it around like, um, what's that weapon from medieval times? Like a mace? Is that the one with the ball with the spikes on it? Swinging it around like a mace and threatening to hit me with it. So guess what I did? Turned around and walked out of the room. I let the physician know that I was unable to complete the patient's assessment, take a blood sugar, get a temp, whatever it was. I charted it in very descriptive, accurate language, and I let my charge nurse know. I really don't remember what happened with that patient. I think what happened later was somebody else went in and for some reason he acted differently toward that person and they were able to at least get a temp at least get a blood sugar or something like that. But I limited my interactions to must do things only and just made sure that the team knew how his care was being impeded by his violent, aggressive behavior. He was delirious, so I really couldn't, there really wasn't any reasoning with the man. It was just going to take some time for the alcohol withdrawal to run its course. So again, for you guys asking questions like this, in nursing school. I hope that this was helpful. And if you have any other scenarios that you're not sure how to handle, please, hey, get on the Twitter and tweet them at me or send me a note on my email from my website, straightanursingstudent.com. And you can also go onto Facebook. The Facebook group is, or the Facebook page is facebook.com slash straightanursingstudent. And let me know what topics you want to hear about on the podcast. I hope that this was helpful. And if you are a nursing student, I want to invite you to get my free guide of the 11 habits of successful nursing students. I just finished creating this guide and it is out there for you for free. And you can get that by going to straightanursingstudent.com. You will see the link on the right. It's a right now, I could change it, but right now it's black with some white text. So it's pretty visible on the right side of the uh, page. And it says 11 habits of successful nursing students. And you can get that guide for free and it comes with worksheets. So you can actually start implementing these habits right away and see them change your life. 
Alrighty, that is it for today. I hope that was helpful, guys. Let me know if you have any other ideas for podcasts. I'm happy to take your suggestions and talk about whatever you think is helpful for you. Take care and be safe out there. This podcast is brought to you by straightanursingstudent.com. Copyright Mo Media.